The movie Along Came the Devil came out in 2018. What a way to start a sermon, right? Talking about the devil. According to Voodoo.com, this is what it says about the movie, that Ashley is sent to live with her estranged aunt named Tanya, and while in her hometown, she has these visions of her deceased mom driving her to contact the spirit world. So Ashley unknowingly unearths a demonic force which leaves her loved ones fighting for her very soul. You know what I've discovered in, in my walk with Christ is that many people, including Christians, fail to recognize Satan and his schemes because they think that Satan comes in with a pitchfork, you know, pointy ears and a little tail, and they think that he comes in looking like evil incarnate or really hideous. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. He said, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. The picture on this first slide, you might think, did you have your grandson draw that? No. Actually, I drew that inside of a book I have in my office. This book I have in my office is from a false religion that claims to be another gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know the answer to that, don't shout it out. But I have that in that front cover of that book sitting in my office in case somebody accidentally goes in my office, sees that on my shelf and says, hey, that ought to be a good book to check out. I want to give that as a warning so when they open it, first thing they see before they read another gospel is, hey, that's poison. Keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me this morning to Colossians chapter 2 as we continue in that verse-by-verse -verse study through that epistle. Let's catch up real quick as you're turning there where we've been. Last week we learned in the book of Colossians about having a circumcised heart with the circumcision of Christ. We learn that circumcision was an outward sign of something that had already happened in the heart of someone who dedicated themselves to the Lord. And the most important question of Christianity we asked in that message, and it's this, is the cross of Christ enough to provide salvation or is something else needed? Is the cross enough? And then we talked about the outward representation for Christians is baptism. And, and so our salvation is pictured through baptism after it's already happened inside our heart. We ended by saying we were all condemned sinners, all of us. But the debt has been completely paid by Jesus Christ as he was nailed to the cross. And so now if you're in Christ, you are a new creation brand new and complete in him. You lack nothing as a follower of Christ. And so today, Paul's going to give a very clear warning in the book of Colossians. He couldn't be any more clear about it. Don't get caught up with traditions and laws trying to earn God's favor. Don't get caught up with traditions and laws trying to earn something, catch this, that you already possess. I mean, let, let's just say, you blew a fuse in your car and you're going to run to the store and buy a fuse when you have a whole box of fuses already. Why would you do that? 
And, and so in Christ, he's saying, don't try to keep traditions and laws for something you already possess. You're complete in Christ. And so if you have your sermon notes there in your bulletin, Roman numeral one, let no one judge your freedom in Christ. Let no one judge your freedom in Christ. If your Bibles are open, Colossians chapter two, let's pick it up at verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath. Catch this, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. Now, we don't know for an absolute fact, but it's most likely that the Mosaic law, a lot of it was not only given for observances, but it was also given for health reasons. Think about this. Trigonosis. When I was young, my grandmother used to tell me, overcook that bacon or you get trigonosis. Trigonosis, I always wondered what that was and I had no idea, but what it is, it's a roundworm infection that primarily affects meat-eating animals like bears and pigs. The infection is usually acquired by humans when they eat undercooked or raw meat that contains roundworm larvae. Now listen, the Old Testament strictly prohibits eating certain foods. And there are Christians today who would say, yeah, that's for us too. We, we got to stay away from this food and that food and this food. And I praise God for my freedom in Christ because I love me some BLTs. I just got to tell you, may I confess my sins to you. The New Testament is so clear that eating or not eating food does not provide righteousness for anybody. Paul, again, to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 8, 8 said, Food does not condemn us to God. For neither if we eat, are we the better, nor if we do not eat, we are the worse. Now, some people have health concerns or diets, and so they stay away from certain foods, and that's okay. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can eat anything with a pure conscience as long as, here, here's the caveat, as long as you're not purposely causing a brother to stumble. Okay, I had a neighbor once. I remember our neighbor, we were new in the neighborhood. A guy came over and wanted to introduce himself and wanted us to come over for dinner. And he says, oh, you're a believer. Yeah, I'm a believer. And then he started telling me how I could not eat meat. It was really unfortunate because I didn't go over his house for a barbecue because barbecued tofu wasn't my thing. But here Paul gives all these warnings for this false teaching that was going around and why it was so dangerous. And notice the passage begins with the word, so. Similar to the way, therefore, connects a thought to another thought, here, so does that same thing, the previous thought. So look back at verse 14 and let's see what thought he's connecting. In verse 14, Paul said, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. Since we are not saved by the Old Testament law, Paul says, now let no one judge you with those things. There's no judgment with those things. Remember, the Gnostics had claimed to have this secret knowledge, and they were spiritual elite because they had knowledge that you did not have. 
And they believed that this knowledge would bring them into perfection somehow. The New Living Version of 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, While knowledge may make us feel important, it is love that really builds up the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much at all. <laughs> you know what I've discovered about Christians? You can tell a Christian, you just can't tell them much. No. <laughs> Do you know that we're all wrong in some ways with our theology? When we get to heaven, we're, gonna be, we're all going to have a big red spot right here, and that's from doing this. I thought... I thought, I thought I was so right and I was wrong. We're all off a little bit in our thinking. But here's the thing. If your belief contradicts the word of God, it's called heresy. There, there's no nice way to put it. The, the dictionary defines heresy as a belief or an opinion that's contrary to orthodox Christianity and its doctrine. There in your notes, this one ought to sting a little. The most accepted form of heresy by Christians is a not-in-your-face full-on lie, but rather a clever lie mixed in with some truth to make it palatable enough for people to fall into its deception. A little bit of lie within the truth makes it heresy. And the reason why so many people fall into these false religions and false teachings is pride, it's arrogance. We want to believe. I want to work for what I have. I want to earn what I have. And, and see, I've earned my salvation. I'm a better boy than you. I'm a better person. So somehow I've earned it. Jesus had to die for you, you filthy wretch. But he only had to shed a little bit of blood for me. You ever hear? We may not say those words, right? Because that's out and out blasphemy. I mean, they'll burn you at the stake for that sort of stuff. But our attitude speaks that loud and clear sometimes. And, and so here's the thing is my flesh gets so puffed up when I think I'm living a better life than you. And you see, my flesh wants you to know how spiritual I really am. Man, that guy is so spiritual. And then my flesh gets all puffed up. But here's the thing. My freedom comes from my position in Christ. You see, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. James tells us that if we kept the law perfectly, yet stumbled at one point, we're guilty of all. So you may say, I've never robbed a bank. Have you done one mile an hour over on the speed limit? You're dust. We're all dust. Remember Colossians 2.9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then 10. And you are complete in him who's above every principality and power. So Paul says, now because you're complete in him and because all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in him. Don't let anybody judge you with these holidays and foods and mosaic laws, all this stuff. And again, within the law, they had special diets. They had all these Sabbaths they had to keep and all these holidays. Do you know that even today there are some quote unquote denominations who say that we still should observe the Sabbath? 
We still should come to church on Saturday because it's the Sabbath and in order to keep it holy. Yet all throughout the New Testament, ever since the resurrection of Christ, every time you see the first day of the week, the first day of the week, the first day of the week. By the way, it's Sunday. Corporate worship. We should worship God every day. Not esteem any day above another, but corporately come together on Sunday. And so... It wasn't that the law was flawed. We're flawed. The law was perfect. But God knew we couldn't keep it. And so now that Jesus Christ has come, we no longer need the shadow. So when Paul was trying to explain this to the church of Galatians, he said this, Galatians 3.1, he said, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? I mean, think about what Paul's saying here. Are you so foolish? I mean, ugh. having begun in the Spirit, now you think you're going to be made perfect in the flesh? The Galatians were deceived into thinking that spiritual maturity and spiritual growth happened by trying to keep the Mosaic law. Listen to what Wearsby said about that. He said, the person who judges a believer because that believer is not living under Jewish laws is really, catch this, judging Jesus Christ. He is saying that Jesus didn't finish the work there on the cross. And that we somehow have to work out our own salvation. There in your notes, the person who judges a believer is basically saying faith in Christ is not enough for salvation. But food, holidays, Sabbaths, none of that stuff brings you to God. There in your notes, the only doorway to the Father is an abiding relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Again, all those things, they were all shadows, but Jesus is the substance. So let's move on. Roman numeral two. Puffed up people try to rob believers. Look at verse 18. It says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into the things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. According to Strong's Concordance there in your notes, the word cheat in the original language means to decide or umpire against someone or to count someone as unworthy to receive a prize. What these Judaizers and Gnostics were doing, basically, was they were judging another man's salvation. Because you don't keep those rituals and rules, you don't deserve heaven. And Paul is saying, these false teachers, man, they're puffed up. Man, they delight in vanity. They delight in worship of angels and all this false humility. The Old Testament king Ahab and Manasseh led the people of Israel to worship angels. And in the New Testament, we're told over and over again, never worship 
an angel. Worship is reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ alone. There in your notes. Because of their imposing appearance, there's a temptation to worship angels. But angels should not be worshipped. You see, God has always existed. The Trinity has always existed. The Trinity is not a created being, but angels are. And we're not to worship any created being, period, end of sentence. So angels, because they're created, we don't worship him. I think of the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. John was so overwhelmed with the revelation that was given to him about the future that he falls down to worship an angel. And this is what we're told. Revelation 19.10. John said, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Don't worship me. Only God is worthy of our worship. Even the angels themselves knew better. You think of the Apostle Paul when they went to worship him. He said the same thing. Don't worship me. I'm just a man. Wearsby said the false teachers in Colossae had visions and made contact with angels. There in your notes. In bypassing the word of God and the spirit of God, they were opening themselves up to all kinds of demonic activity because Satan knows how to give counterfeit experiences to people. Remember, not all miracles are of God. Again, what we began with, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. The word intruding there in verse 18 means to enter into the inner shrine fully initiated into the mysteries of a religion. Now think about what the book of Hebrews tells us. The book of Hebrews tells us that now that we're saved by the blood of the Lamb, we can boldly enter into the holies of holies and receive help in our time of need. And, and so Wearsby said, of course, all this mystical ceremony was wrapped up in all this false humility that was actually an expression of pride. I'm not good enough to come directly to God, so I'm going to go through a saint or an angel because I can't come before God. Don't I sound so humble? Wearsby goes on to say, trying to reach God by anyone or anything else than Jesus Christ is idolatry. Now, if you're thinking of some denomination or religion, that uses something else to get to the Father, some saint or something else. Don't think of that because I'm not talking about them. But we're told very clearly that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. Because he was fully God and fully man. The person who goes through an angel or a saint to get to God is committing idolatry. And that's harsh, right? I mean, that sounds really harsh because I know I have some family members 
who are involved with a religion that pray to St. Michael or St. This or St. That, depending if the cat's sick, they got one for the cat, and if their tree's dying, they got one for the tree and all this. And I don't want to tease them. But the Bible very clearly says we can boldly enter in, and there's only one mediator, and his name is Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And you know something what real authentic worship does? Is it humbles us. When you get to the place of true worship and your heart is broke for what breaks his, it humbles you. It doesn't create this arrogant pride that I'm somehow better than you. Man, I come to worship every time the church doors open. Aren't I wonderful? And the Gnostics, again, they wanted this secret spiritual knowledge, so I know more than you. You see, if, if you come to me and I know the answer to that, aren't I wonderful? I am so well-versed. Let me tell you. There in your notes, false humility and the worship of angels do not make anyone more spiritual. The only way to correct the false teachings of a heretic is to center oneself on Jesus and his word. Look again at verse 19. And Paul says, In not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So Paul here again is telling us that the head is Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to this church about their identity in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're part of the body. He's the head. And we're all knit together. But I don't like the way your church does this, so I'm going to another church. I don't like this, so I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm. Wait a minute. There's one head. There's one body. And we are members of his body. And by the way, if I'm a member of the body, I have to do what the head tells me, right? Sometimes I really don't like that part. I want to serve Jesus, but only as an advisor. You know, Jesus, you know what a great way to answer my prayer would be? Have you ever said this? Don't raise your hand, because I know you have. We sit there and we pray for something that's impossible. And we say, well, the Bible says with God all things are possible. So we sit there and we dream, how, how would God answer this prayer? Because this thing seems impossible. But God, let me tell you how you can do this. You know, God, if you and then you and then you, oh, you could answer this prayer, God. How many of us have done that? No, no, don't tell me. But the evidence of a mature believer is seeing how they're parts of the body doing what God has called them to do. We get this new identity in Christ and then our marching orders come from the head. You know, I don't like that. I want to tell God how to do things. I don't want him to tell me how to do things because he always tells me things that are uncomfortable. Am I the only one? Does God tell you to do something that's uncomfortable? I hate when he does that. But our spiritual unity comes because of who's the head. And here's the best part. You know, I have heard so many people tell me as a Christian, I have a responsibility. You do? No, as a Christian, you have a response. We respond to God's calling because of love. 
I have a lot of responsibilities, let me tell you. I got a responsibility as a son, I got a responsibility as a father, as a grandfather, as a brother, as a husband. I have a responsibility because I, vocationally I work for the church. I have a lot of responsibilities and sometimes it is so overwhelming. And when it is, you know what I discovered? That I'm fleshing it out, right? But when I serve Jesus out of a response of love, it's so easy. And that's a good litmus test for me. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ compels us. And so Jesus Christ, because of his great love for which he had for us, took the cross. Out of a response to the Father and a response to us, he took the cross and now he's the head. And now, likewise, I respond to him. And here, here's a big secret to this passage, Roman numeral three. False humility cannot stop the flesh. Look at verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world... Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with their using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You're going to get a seminary lesson here this morning. I apologize ahead of time. But in this passage, the Apostle Paul is talking about asceticism. There'll be a test on that later. Asceticism was a severe self-discipline where you avoid all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. Asceticism, though, is usually trying to resist or oppose the flesh in the flesh. Think about this. A house divided cannot stand, right? So asceticism is trying to avoid things of the flesh in the power of your own flesh. Bruce said this, All such legalistic rules may have an appearance of wisdom, but they're no real value. Legalism doesn't restrain the flesh. It feeds the flesh in such a powerful way. There in your notes. In fact, the most rigorous asceticism can coexist with insufferable spiritual pride, one of the subtlest and most intraceable of the works of the flesh. Think about this. You see a believer out having a burrito, and he's got a corona in front of him. Now myself... Because of my vocation and my own personal convictions, I do not partake of any alcohol whatsoever. Don't touch it. However, my Bible does not give a, tell me I can't have any alcohol. My Bible says don't be drunk. So I go out and I see a believer having a burrito with a corona and I go, oh. And then I see another believer over here bowing his head over the burrito and no alcohol. He's got a Coca-Cola instead. And then the one without the alcohol lifts his head and goes, look at that filthy heathen over there. He's got a corona. (laughs) 
which one is right before God? And I don't know their hearts, but I'm just, if the one without the alcohol is not having alcohol because of the appearance of the flesh, is he really a spiritual giant? Now, granted, I believe that mature Christians ought to be careful, especially out in public, because you don't know who's watching. But whether you have a beer or not have a beer is not the question. It's what's controlling you. Do not be drunk with wine. Do not be controlled by wine. So when I do these things because I want to look holier than thou, you might as well have a six pack because you done lost it. And don't go have a six pack and tell your wife your pastor told you. <laughs> but think about in the Gospels, Jesus Christ didn't go after sinners. He went after the religious elite who thought that they were holier than thou, who were spotless on the outside, but inside were full of dead men's bones and death. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully beautiful outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So asceticism was practiced a lot in the Middle Ages. You know, it, it, they had abstinence from anything that would look fleshly. The New World Encyclopedia said of asceticism that within Christian traditions, it's a set of disciplines that was practiced, catch this, to work out someone's own salvation. And so by denying myself, I somehow gain heaven. I climb two rungs of the ladder to heaven because I've denied my flesh by the power of my flesh. And, and Paul says, this kind of thinking does not prevent the flesh. It feeds it. Now, here's the other side of that coin. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit, we're called to have self-control. Uh-oh, he's about to go there. And we're no longer to live for the lust of the flesh because we have self-control, but empowered by the Spirit. 1 John 2.16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. So again, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it says, have self-control empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not self-control empowered by the flesh. There in your notes, self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit, but self-denial empowered by self gives the flesh an opportunity for pride. Warren Wearsby, the power of Christ in the life of the believer does more than merely restrain the desires of the flesh. Catch this. It puts new desires within him. Catch this. Because nature determines your appetite. There in your notes... The Christian has the very nature of God within, and this means he has godly ambitions and desires. 
Remember when we were going through 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us, As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. Think about all the promises God has given us. God is so faithful. He's promised to fight our battles. He's promised us peace. He's promised us eternal life and freedom from sin and bondage. He's promised me rest and grace and the abundant life. He's promised me that I'm a son of his. He's promised me so many things. And now he says, and you are a partaker of the divine nature. If my nature determines my desires, what does my desires tell me about my nature? That got quiet there for a minute. And again, a partaker, I share. I'm an associate, I'm a companion. Galatians 4, 5 says that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you're a son, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, that's daddy, father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. And we know that in Roman law, if you were an adopted child, your old life was completely gone. Your old debts were completely gone. You had everything of the new family. They actually buried your old life. And that's, we've been buried with Christ. And so the Lord chose us to be holy and without blame. And how does that happen? Because I'm a partaker of the divine nature. That's how that happened. And, and since my heavenly father has nothing to do with the world and its lusts. Again, my desires speak of my new nature. So the answer to escape these legalistic rules and all the regulations is to live abiding in Christ by his spirit. You know, when I try harder. Tell me if this is you. When I try harder, I fail harder. How about you? When I try harder, I fail harder every time. But when I live in the freedom that's in Christ and just believe what he says about me, again, the love of Christ compels me. I want to do it because I know my new identity. But when I try in the flesh to avoid these things, I'll tell you what. It is the hardest thing. I look like a total heathen because I'm trying to avoid things of the flesh in the flesh and it does not work. And so as Paul would say in Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not, cannot, will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What's the answer? Walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. So let's get practical this morning. Like I started, I think many people fail to see the schemes of the evil one because they think somehow he's blowing through the doors, pitchfork in hand, fire coming out of his face or something. And really he's coming in looking like the holier than thou little sweetheart. 
And, and we don't know. And oftentimes he comes in and he sneaks in and he looks just like a saint instead of a devil. John 10.10 says the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, what the enemy's first plan of attack is, is to rob you of eternal life, if that were possible. So he wants anyone that's hearing the gospel to be robbed of that seed so that they will not accept Christ. But you know what his plan for believers is? Now he can't steal your eternal life. He can steal your joy. He can steal your peace. He can, he can just rob us of joy and all those things. And how does he do it? Through false teaching. The answer to legalism, again, is abiding in Christ. Yielding to him. You know the big lie that, that we promote in Christianity, and I think sometimes we help this by telling our, our children to be good little boys and girls. The lie is, because you're a Christian, be a good boy, be a good girl. And the answer should be, no, because you're a Christian, abide. Abide in the vine. Let his blood flow through your veins. Abide in the vine. Walk in the spirit and you shall not, you cannot, it is impossible to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so in, as Christians, we can have so much enjoyment and freedom, pure conscience and loving the Lord. Jesus said in John 8, 34, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, come on, church, you shall be free indeed. Religion is the worst thing that keeps people out of the kingdom of God. Do you know that? And that sounds so crazy. But religion is the worst thing for a Christian. And false teaching is a second. And so what's the consequences of false teaching? Paul made this whole passage on false teaching. What's the consequence? Your Christian liberties will be lost. The joy will be stolen and doubt will enter in. Every Christian I have sat down with that has come in with doubt, you know where it came from? False teaching. Every time. There in your notes, false humility, which comes from legalism, may lead to the sin of pride and feelings of superiority while judging others. But freedom... And Christ comes from a surrendered life. So here's the two-sided coin of the snare of false teaching that we need to watch out for. Number one, trying to resist the flesh and the power of the flesh, asceticism. Or two, because I want to escape legalism so much that I fall into this attitude of who cares... And then I begin living for the lust of the flesh because after all, I have freedom to do all things. Those are both sides. Resisting the flesh by the power of the flesh or I don't care and I can do anything and that leads me to living for the flesh. How do I keep a balance? Abide in the vine. Be in the word of God and walk in the spirit. That's how you keep a balance. We're released from the law. And then we receive God's grace instead. And my inheritance is my freedom in Christ. 
The one who truly surrenders and accepts the grace of God, empowered by the Spirit, is born again from above. Galatians 5.16 again. Then I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you don't even do the things that you wish. If you're led by the Spirit, you can do anything in freedom and then you'll have the joy of your salvation. The worst thing that comes against a Christian is our own conscience. The condemnation that comes from the enemy and our conscience. And that's because we're not walking in the spirit. And Paul basically says, if you walk in the spirit, you can basically do anything you want. Because you have freedom in Christ and you have a clear conscience because you're serving and abiding in Christ. And that's why false teaching is so dangerous. So, so, so dangerous. Again, back to those crossbones and skull that I put on that book. I'm telling you, it says it's another gospel of Christ. But what it is, that religion wants to put you into their bondage. And Jesus came to set you free. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and I'm going to pray. There'll be some elders and their wives in the back like every week to pray with you. You know what I have found? I've walked with Jesus a little while now. And what I have found is the time that I am fully content and happy is when I'm not trying to flesh out my salvation. But instead I'm resting in daddy's love. It's oftentimes I have to get to the bitter, ugly, disgusting end of self. And cry out, God, I can't. And I, I hear like, Eureka, it's about time, Rich. Come and rest in me. And that's when I enjoy the Father's love the most. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed.